Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What is demonic possession? How does exorcism dislodge the quote-unquote demon? Does it dislodge the demon? Hello, and welcome to the 313th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, and tonight's guest, my dad. Well, actually, technically, I don't know if you'd still call it guest, but anyway, moving on. But before we get into our very serious topic this evening, it's time for our weekly paranormal contest. And last week's question was, name the one country in which weird metallic sounds have been heard coming from the sky in 2011 or 12. Not technically a question. Well, quite a few people answered correctly, but Martin Short from London, I wonder if that's the actor, I don't know, mm. was the first to do so, answering Costa Rica. Other correct answers were Canada, Denmark, Brazil, Mexico, and the United States. For some reason, I thought there was only one country, and I was no, like, no, wait, that's more than one country. You know, well, that's the, there are quite a few of these sounds that are well documented, and a number of recordings of them are available on YouTube. And I've listened to a few. I don't know if you have been, but they're they're really creepy. A well, lot of them are kind of metallic, and some sound almost like Godzilla if you stretch the imagination a little bit. So who knows what we're up against here? Well, there was Viking folklore of of like strange metallic sounds that came from the earth, which would be called the oh, what was it the um. Uh, I forgot the name of it, but it was a serpent. Well, yeah, well, I can just see it. If, if these are, well, a lot of people believe these are seismic in origin, and I can just see ancient people hearing this stuff and saying, aha, trumpets, or, you know, something metallic, or monsters, or whatever, and, and recording it in the ancient literature. Uh, it is hard to tell whether these actually come from the ground or the sky, but the general scientific opinion is, as I say, that they're seismic. But I don't particularly find that reassuring, mm. being you know all over the place like this, uh, and because again they're often metallic. All, all the religious literalists and unreconstructed anthropomorphites, if I can coin a phrase, mm. uh, proclaim "aha" trumpets of the apocalypse. So. Uh, well, who knows? Well, maybe if these uh, natural sounds and ancient people heard them, they probably took them as ancient documents or well. Well, yeah, yeah, they put them in ancient documents, they're signs of God and things like that. But sure. in any case, uh, sounds like they aren't really new. I mean, there's the Dow's hum, the unexplained booming sound heard from the world, like, the world for centuries. There's even the bloop, which actually they, I, I did read an article where, um, I don't know if, I don't know if there's the U.S. Navy, but the U.S. Navy originally identified it, but yeah. it actually came from a living creature. They didn't that, say that was that was the yeah that was the, the opinion. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like but it would have to be the size of uh, I don't know, some you know unimaginable size to make that sound. Well, who well there's still like 75 percent of the ocean, world's oceans that we haven't explored. No, yet. that's for so sure. I can tell a lot you some of weird, stories. Yeah. People I've heard about. Well. Well, at least you didn't grow up near the uh, Moodus noises. Well, I actually, I did grow up near the Moodus oh, noises. Oh, you did? There's, there's strange sounds coming from the ground near Mount Tom and Cave Hill in Moodus, Connecticut, not so far away. Uh, they reach back to prehistoric times. They, I've heard them. They sound rather like uh, distant thunder or maybe distant artillery fire. Uh, the natives attributed them to a not-so-nice spirit known as Hobomok. Uh, the University of Connecticut Seismology Department attributes them to a number of small but significant geological faults like the Honey Hill Fault and things like that. Uh, and a matter of fact, that area, there are a lot of small quakes, some of which are too small to feel, 
but uh, that sort of activity is common there, and it's increasing. Oh, well, let's uh, go to our question, and this week's question is an easy one. What is a common word for a close encounter of the fourth kind? So get that right and win a copy of Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny by my dad. So let us begin with our topic. I can't think of too, too, too many things in the paranormal that are more frightening than demonic possession and the resulting need for exorcism. I mean, there's movies made about it. I mean, there was a new one that just came out that I actually heard was terrible. And basically, don't go see it because everyone I talked to said it was really bad. But there is a lot of interesting stuff out there in this field. And it has to be addressed in a sensible manner or great harm could result, as you can see from those movies. So my dad started his paranormal research over 41 years ago while studying for the priesthood. His studies were not sanctioned by the church, but he worked unofficially with some very prominent expert priests, or very common, uh, prominent experts, but including priests. One of them was Father John J. Nicola, a Jesuit priest and the leading exorcism expert of his day. As a seminarian student, as a seminary student, my dad worked in psychiatric hospitals to find out about the difference between mental illness and paranormal experiences, but also because doctors sometimes had no other explanations for a patient's condition except demonic possession. That was always kept very quiet. Dad, over the years, how many exorcisms have you witnessed? Well, overt, full ritualized Roman Catholic exorcisms, ten, three of which were performed on the same person, and I hope I never see one again. And I must point out, this is not the Middle Ages uh, the doctors were talking about here. This is the 1970s. Wait, three on the same person? Yes. Well, we'll get into that. That's why we're taking two shows to do this. Okay, well, um, a lot of people associate exorcisms with the Roman Catholic Church, but I'm sure you can tell us there's a lot more to it than that. Well, there is, of course, Ben. Uh, the history of exorcism is closely tied to any given culture's understanding of what most people call demonic possession or spirit possession. Without the belief that an evil spirit can take over somebody's body or even personality, there wouldn't be any need for exorcism, uh, which is sort of the action to banish that spirit from that person. Oh, right. So that leads us into... Well, the sort of, I guess, the, yeah, well, so the history. What, what is... What is What is possession, first of all, and what is the history of it? Well, throughout human history and prehistory, there have been beliefs that what were believed to be gods or spirits could enter the body or mind of a person and influence their knowledge and actions. Uh, Often this was, and still is, considered good. It was considered beneficial for the tribe, for example, when holy men and women, including shamans, something you know a lot about, Mm. would have their consciousness taken over by what was believed to be a spirit, who could influence the crops or the weather uh, or, or a wartime situation or whatever, uh, with good news or blessings from that entity as a result. Now, we can see remnants of these earliest examples in places like Africa or South Asia or Polynesia, where several cultures still have an unbroken tradition that reaches back tens of thousands of years. Now, in the Caribbean area and, and Southern America, you can still find voodoo cults that originally came from Africa. Now, when I was in Haiti in 1984, I made a particular study of Haitian folk religion, including zombies, believe it or not, with a voodoo priest I happened to know there. Ironically, he was introduced to me by a Catholic priest who (laughs) kind of believed he had to sort of work with what he had down there. I guess. I guess that makes uh, sense. uh, We we knew each other by correspondence. When I arrived, he was a 
very gracious and uh, I've learned quite a bit. Anyway, in their practice, uh, people actually seek to be possessed by a loa, as they call it, L-O-A, uh, which will use the person's body and sometimes predict the person's future. Now, I actually watched this as this thing took over three people and they gyrated wildly around the inside of sort of a dirt-floored building that served as the local voodoo temple. And uh, I was told that I was rather fortunate because very few outsiders are allowed to, uh, to see this. And uh, I was astounded, uh, for one thing, in this temple to see a number of Christian symbols, including statues and even icons. Oh, sort of like uh, Santeria. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. But it was a beautiful icon. As a matter of fact, the 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 um, uh, I think it was the one of the Kazan icons of the Mother of God was. I couldn't believe it. Oh gosh, it, I, that's I, a weird I, mixture. of Very things. strange. Yeah, a lot of statues and stuff. Uh, it was very plus their own symbols too. Uh, it was very unusual for an outsider to be allowed to attend one of these things, and uh, needless to say, I was very uncomfortable. I could feel these entities, because you know how I am with these things. I, I can tell them a mile away. Even then, in 1984, they were familiar. Uh, I could feel these things all around me. It was a, and it's funny, the, the best word I can come up with to think of the feeling or the atmosphere was filthy. Mm. I, I don't know why, but it's, that, that's the best descriptive adjective I can think of. Uh, and most significantly, significantly, I recognized the presence of what I already was calling parasites by that time. Uh, they were the same kind of creatures I had encountered with, when assisting in exorcisms and in poltergeist cases before this, particularly in the, the Bridgeport House in 1974, 10 years before that. Uh, they, they just, it was, it was not them personally, but it was the same kind of critters. I said, my gosh, you know. So the voodoo thing was the best example I could think of at the time of paranormal parasitism that I ever saw, what it was doing to these people, what they were letting it do to them. Uh, anyway, these folks were they were left completely exhausted. Two of them had to be carried home. The next day, one of the men who had been possessed told me that it had happened to him several times and that it was a huge feeling of electrical energy surging through the body. Sound familiar? Mm. Uh, then a sense of blackness, and he didn't recall anything else until he was revived after the ceremony. This is the typical experience of when these people get possessed by these loas. So th- this is this is what he told me. And uh, by the way, during the experience, the loa had shouted through the man, and it was not his voice, it was some other voice, uh, the date of his own death. All right, and he was delighted when people later told him what they had heard. And he told me, now I, w-, and I had, this is in my notes, now I will know when to prepare myself and my family, he told me. So he was delighted to find out the date of his own death, if it was true. Well, I, I guess you can, he's looking at the bright side of things. <laughs> Always look at the bright side of death. I, right? I yeah. guess, yeah, yes. Exactly, yeah. So anyway, uh, experiences like this go far beyond Haiti. Uh, to this day, all over the Western world, mediums will, quote, channel messages from what they believe are spirits of the dead, space aliens, enlightened masters, or whoever. So would you equate stuff like that, like channeling and all that, to the same thing as possession? Well, uh, I think we're going to get to later that there are degrees of possession. I've often said on the show that, that when the question has come up, and we're so busy talking about other things in the paranormal that the question has not come up that often. Mm. How common is, well, poltergeist, for one thing, which is, one, I think, one of the, 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 the serious 
expressions of these parasites yeah. to possession, which is probably the most serious. Uh, I've said there's really well the knockdown drag out cases are not all that common, but in a way I probably shouldn't have said that because in a way there are degrees of possession and they are very common. And uh, one of one of the th- one of the the, the um, factors I blame for that is the popularity of of modern ghost hunting television shows. Yeah. All you know, their, their main audience, their, their whole uh, show ethos is supported by largely by teenage girls. Yeah, all right. And these are people who are going out; they're, they're being attracted to the occult by this. They're using Ouija boards, and they're doing all this stuff that's creating all kinds of unbelievable problems. Yeah, I think that, that that's partially responsible for the increase in the negativity that you and I are seeing in, in our own work. So anyway, that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit there, but that, that, that's that's my answer to that. Uh, actually, um, well, especially during uh, you see, in seances, they're starting to do more and more of these seances and things of that kind. Uh, deep trance mediums, as they're called, sometimes will actually be possessed by what they believe are spirits of the dear departed. Right? And as I've said a hundred times, and I'll say it a hundred times more, I cannot get over how so many of these people just assume that what is happening to them and what, what is being told to them is true. That is a very reckless and dangerous assumption. Anyway, all, all this might horrify devout Christians. They themselves often talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit or guided by the Spirit of God. Cer- obviously, certainly not on the same level as what we're talking about. But nevertheless, the concept of interaction with spirit is very common throughout, both good and bad, throughout uh, our, our consciousness in both the East and the West. Uh, you know, anyway, so but many literalists of any religion believe that divine spirits or God himself guided the minds and hands of those who wrote this, their scriptures. Christians, Jews, and Muslims especially will talk in terms of being God's hands on earth or, or, or things of that kind. You know, that's all fine. But again, we have a basic human concept of, of interacting and joining with supernatural entities yeah well then possession is a very heavy-handed word too to describe this kind of stuff i mean stuff like demonic possession yes that that is oh yeah no 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 notably so making the distinction yes yes yes. that that, uh, that's just what i'm saying i mean it's a very heavy heavy heavy-handed word there's a lot of baggage that goes with it oh yeah yeah but so but early on it it must have been clear that not all these so-called spirits were good well, yeah, well, that's true. I mean, we're, we're not that dumb. I mean, mm. Anyway, uh, not always true. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, it wasn't always recognized that, that they were bad. Uh, some entities would leave their hosts or their victims physically harmed. This has happened in Haiti, too, uh, sometimes with broken minds. Uh, but this wasn't always recognized as evil. I and mean, after a while, though, uh, even the most animistic or uh, spirit-based religions realized that there were demons or evil spirits. Uh, just um, or even just tricksters. That, that's a common term used among the Native Americans. Tricksters who meant us no good, or didn't really care one way or the other, or just played tricks on us. Uh, what we find uh, in, in our work, some of the um, the lower species of, of parasites will literally act like children. Mm. They're two dimensional thinkers. Uh, they'll play tricks on people to help. That's their way to push buttons to, yeah. to get the energy going so they can eat and all this business. But we'll get into all that. Um, early on, among the uh, those who recognized there were bad things going on here were the Buddhists, who developed the notion of the Caesars, not the emperors of Rome, but the S-E-I-Z-E-R-S, evil spirits who could take over people for evil purposes. But on the other hand, still, um, look at religions that demand human sacrifice. And make no mistakes, some still exist. 
underneath the surface of things. Uh, You'd think this would have started every alarm bell on the human mind ringing, but not always. Some civilizations that we consider truly great practiced it, such as the Mayans. Yeah, I wasn't... No, yeah, the the Mayans did, but the Aztecs didn't, correct? No, no, they they did, too. There were all the Central American... Not all, but most Central American major religions did at one time or another. But most people were... They weren't, like, forced to... To kill themselves, they they usually well, volunteer. Well, some of the excuses, I, mean, I myself appointed. I'm not. Out. I'm not justifying it. I'm just yeah. saying some. Sometimes the people like volunteered themselves to. That's be, very true. Yeah, yes. it was considered an honor, and I mean that should make you wonder too. Yeah, and true. In Europe, you had like, and also there were there were people who were particularly among the Celts and this who were were condemned criminals were given the honor of dying in honor of the gods rather than just being you know hung. For murder or whatever, and, and yeah. they, you know, so that was uh, the Druids did that too, actually. Well, so, well, there's some debate about, but anyway, there the, the, there are all sorts of circumstances where an execution was turned into a divine act. Something that really bothers me. It even bothers me that Yahweh, you know, the, yeah. the God upon whom the God most of us worship is based, mm-hmm. uh, was uh, sacrificed to with animals. Oh yeah, so that is generations in the temple in Jerusalem. That is too. Because birds are that, is, are, that they, is true. That bothers me a little bit. You know, anyway, well, that's not what we're talking. I hardly put him on the same level as some of these lowers or anything. God forbid. Anyway, um, that good pun. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. So, from your book, Turning Home: God, Ghosts, Human Destiny, you think it's clear that these parasites have always had such a big influence on the human race? We unfortunately, uh, yes, uh, since the late 1970s, I've believed that these evil spirits and demons, that, as they're called, are actually, as we've talked about many times, interdimensional parasites, actual physical life forms that have the ability to reach into nearby parallel worlds and feed off the negative energy of whatever creatures they find there. You and I have both seen that mm. in action. In my opinion, the entire panorama of human culture especially the history of religion seems to be one enormous saga of parasite influence and our reaction to it Uh, there are a number of very telling facts in this history Uh, for example archaeology indicates pretty clearly that people started out worshipping one god a lot of people don't realize that Mm. you know people jumping around in caves they they apparently were worshipping one god or at least a three person divine family Sounds a little familiar, of which humans often were considered the child. Not always, but you had a mother figure, a father figure, and a child, the, the families, sort of the center of the human psyche, the, the first archetype, if you will. Hmm. Uh, suddenly, uh, some evidence has it as recently as 8,000 to 10,000 years ago, uh, that is recent compared with some of the time periods we talk about, the record shows the rise of all kinds of beliefs in, in the various gods, demigods, titans, heroes, demons, and you name it. All of a sudden, you had this wild polytheism, polytheism meaning the worship of more than one god, at a time when there was evidence of vast, even global wars, apparently fought with weapons that even we don't have and hopefully never will. And uh, I point this all out in the book Turning Home. Uh, Most of these parasites are not stupid creatures. They weren't then and they aren't now. They're hungry, they're hostile, and they learn quickly. I think they came to many of our remote ancestors convincing them they were gods and essentially enslaved them through the key word in any study of parasites, possession, and exorcism, ego. Yeah. That's going to keep coming up in all our studies of this. I don't think there's any better way to trap a human being than to use their egos to do it. It's true. That lady we had on, um, what was her name? 
Nita 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 Hickok. Yes, her Nita Hickok. Yeah, yeah, she was saying. Well, she like, was on she, a CBS show. But well, yeah. yeah, well, the point being is that she was saying that well, if it, she was like usually people who are like media mystic or whatever, they listen to whatever's like, hey, you should go do this, and they're like, okay, but she was saying, well, if it says that if it like builds you up and like points at your ego and is like, yeah, you're powerful and stuff. She was like, don't trust it. Absolutely, yeah. I was. She surprised me. Um, I was very reluctant to have her on because she looked like the garden variety everyday healer, medium, psychic, this kind of thing. And those people are a dime a dozen. But I was very impressed when I spoke to her before deciding to have her on, and um, we were both kind of impressed with her. Yeah. And she realized this key word. You know, that H word, humility, has to be present if you're going to have any kind of honest or, or, or accurate results in any kind of, in any of these studies. And if anything tries to build you up, watch out. So you can just imagine these parasites in ancient times or whenever, uh, some ancient chieftain having a dream say or hearing a voice say, you will be a great king who will conquer other nations and I am the God who will stand by you as long as you do what I say. That is the story of human history, right there. Uh, one case we often point out, it's even happened in modern times. So who knows what kind of dreams, you know, Ahmadinejad has, or so, you know, who knows? Yeah, true. Uh, he even lives in that same area where a lot of civilization originated, supposedly. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a matter of um, who is said to what when and uh, the human ego in play. Mm. So uh, document after document from the ancient world says as much. Yeah, it's true. And I'm convinced that parasite influence has been a defining factor in human development. The modern case we always cite is that of the uh, Blair, not the Blair, you know, the Blair Witch, right? <laughs> the uh, um, Bell Witch, I should say, in Tennessee, 1817 to 1821, where the, the this entity, or actually, the, there seemed to be, because I, I, I was uh, one of the unofficial consultants on the film uh, American Haunting, came out with Donald Sutherland a few years ago, and I had access to some documents. Hmm. And uh, there were uh, first-hand documents written by uh, the, the guy who eventually married uh, the young Bell daughter, who was the first victim of this entity. There seemed to be four entities. They uh, got so much strength from pushing the buttons of this family that they actually were able to go out. People heard about it. They came to hear the thing talk. Uh, they couldn't see it, but they would hear it recite poetry. It, w- it would read from the Bible. Uh, it would tell hilarious jokes. It would repeat the sermons spoken in every church around the county. I mean, it was almost funny. It's kind of ironic, don't you think? Well, well, that that should be a bit of a lesson for our study of possession and exorcism. What mm. really are these things? They aren't necessarily afraid. Well, no, I mean that. Like, no, I mean that. That. Yeah. Okay. Never yeah. mind. You just said what I was going to say. Well, yeah. Well. Well. Anyway. Thanks. And uh, the thing got so much strength that it started traveling around the county. People would hear a voice over their shoulder giving them agricultural advice, marital advice, but you never could quite trust the thing. It got stronger and stronger, and had this not been a 19th century strictly Protestant community in America, this thing might have taken over. Yeah, probably. As, as the god of the local tribe. I think that, that happened all over the place in, in, in the ancient world, maybe not so ancient world. So in your book, you also say, uh, well, you also talk about good entities, and where do they come in? Actually, wait, let me add something to that. Okay. I had a friend I was talking to when we were talking about paranormal and parasites and stuff, and he said, what if there are parasites that feed off of positive energy rather than negative? Oh, yeah, th- that question has come up, and we'll deal with it after the break. We're almost at 6.30 here. <laughs> we'll, 
take our commercial break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com in New England's beautiful and now snowy Blackstone River Valley. Stay with us. Everything you know is wrong. Hi, I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Paul Eno. Check out our show, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, here on ON 1240 AM on Mondays on our new drive time slot at 6 PM. The paranormal is not what you think it is. You're going to examine the whole thing from a whole new perspective on our show, and we expect that you're going to be very surprised. Do not check your brain at the door. You're going to need it. Be there. And we want to give you our weekly reminder about Amazon Kindle, particularly Kindle Fire, the new device that came out in November and was a big, big hit at Christmas and the other and the gift giving season. And it is now shipping $199. You get apps, you get movies, you get books, you get much more, almost a million or probably over a million at this point uh, of these things, including books. Uh, we often have a guest who will say, well, you can check my book on Amazon, Amazon Kindle. You can also you have four of my books on Amazon Kindle as well. Uh, Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, Turning Home, God, Ghost, and Human Destiny that we've been talking about tonight uh, per Ben's questions, and Rhode Island, a genial history that the local audience might be kind of interested in. Uh, again, it is available at Amazon Kindle, uh, I should say Amazon.com, uh, Staples, and a number of other places, and check it out. It makes a wonderful gift at any time of the year, and it is in full color as well. So there we are. So let's get back to our discussion on Behind the Paranormal of possession and exorcism, very sobering topic, and one that I am... What are you laughing? It's not funny. No, because you're like, it's a very sobering topic. Well, it is. I wouldn't exactly say sobering. I mean, I, it, if you had my experience with it, you'd find it extremely sobering. Uh, All right. All right. Behave yourself. Okay. So you uh, asked, asked the question. Uh, why don't you pose the question again? Cause I, okay. <laughs> In the book, you also talk about good entities and where did they come from. And I also mentioned that I had a friend who asked, well, what if there are parasites that feed off a of positive energy? Okay. No, that's a very good question. Okay, well. Of course, let's not use the word parasite because that also has baggage. So let's go with entities that feed off a of okay. positive energy. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, as quantum physics indicates, all possibilities exist somewhere or somewhere among the perhaps infinite worlds that constitute the interactive community that we always call the multiverse. Uh, so uh, if it can be imagined, it, it must exist somewhere or somewhere. See, You know, people often ask me, well, you, you, you know, Ben, uh, my opinion on this, what film, what Hollywood film, and we're always criticizing Hollywood because I never quite get it right, uh, what film comes closest to expressing our theories and point of view on the paranormal. And people often laugh when I point out Monsters, Inc. probably is the best. And anybody with kids has seen Monsters, Inc. Mm. and uh, or who has been a kid in recent years. And it certainly uh, is very interesting. It's, it's a well-done, hilarious film by Pixar. And it has uh, the uh, animated characters. Uh, Billy Crystal is the voice of one. And it's a world of monsters, and they generate their power, their literally their electrical power and, and this sort of thing, and their heat, by going into parallel worlds and scaring children. You know, the, the, the proverbial monster comes out of the closet and scares the kid in the middle of the night. And as the kid screams, they gather energy from that and power. And I said, wow, this in a way kind of tells it. However... At the end of the film, they find out through a series of bungling and misadventures and good luck that they get far more power if they go out and make people happy and they make the children laugh 
because uh, they, and a little girl kind of teaches them this, and it's uh, it's almost rather biblical. You know, a little child shall lead them. Maybe not not to get nuts with with this film, but it really does kind of capture the point. Yeah, it does. So uh, I have found that entities. I'm glad you changed the term. Do seem to be encouraged and strengthened when we have a lot of love and well, the, the very spirit of God, as it's talked about religiously in the Bible and in doctrine, is is present, uh, or perhaps is the cause of the certain kinds of happiness and spiritual growth, uh, positive nature, unity, love, especially love, even humor, and as as I've said on many occasions when when uh, we have fought and particularly when, when I fought before you came along mm. with these entities uh, what the, the greatest power comes from positive energy yeah. even laughter it's and true. faith and good things like that so um yeah so the so that's essentially it but there, there are uh, religion and folklore have to kind of mythologize the human experience with parasites uh and with the good ones as well, you know, the angels and everything else, whatever you want to call them, they are there, and I think many of us have experienced them. But they are all interdimensional creatures, in my opinion and experience, uh, ones who seem able to willing, uh, able and willing to help in a number of ways, including against the parasites. We often will ask people to call upon their ancestors. And people say, well, you know, and again, you have to forget everything you knew about, you thought you knew about death and, and the progression of time and space and all this, because it, it just doesn't, it, it's all wrong. What happens is, you know, people people die, you know, you see the, the body, you go to the funeral, that means nothing. The tree of, uh, that the leaf has fallen off is still there. That That's you. The whole tree is you. Mm. So the the leaf you know comes you know comes back in the spring it doesn't mean a thing it's like a, a flake of skin falling off your hand it doesn't mean anything and uh, people asked us when we talked about that when when grandma died last year they asked yeah. me okay well you're always preaching about how to deal with this loss how did you deal with the loss we didn't have any loss it wasn't that she's still with us. It's that we are vividly aware of where we are with her in many parallel worlds where she never died. Because our lives are not just our lives here. They're made up in a balanced and elegant manner of all the lives we're living in this multiverse. And it makes us pretty big beings. And in the end, we're all one being, really. And so we have no sense of loss. So anyway, this this is all going into the positive nature of these things. So we'll probably ought to back right into where we were going with these other things. So yeah, there are positive entities. There are angels, good spirits, ancestors who are neighbors from parallel worlds, and it is closer to you than it is to than you are to yourself as a reality. Uh, folklore. Ga- folklore is I always, I characterize that in the book as the collective memory of the human race our folklore and on our myths and a myth in its in its in its proper sense in greek is not something that's a story that's untrue it's a story that characterizes as best we can something that is true in terms we can understand so a lot of this stuff that we're talking about tonight has been uh carved into folklore it has been mythologized but it still describes things that that are very, very true, whether for good or, or for, for ill. So we appear to have some powerful friends among, along with powerful enemies. So there is a certain balance there. Yes. So where did our modern ideas about possession and exorcism come from? 
Well, the ideas we have today have developed over many centuries, and they've been influenced by Hollywood, of course. Mm. Uh, but the most prominent ones uh, uh, most people in our society would know came about from the Roman Catholic tradition, because that's the ones Hollywood's have ta- Hollywood has taken and made into movies. Uh, being a highly developed organization with great concern for what they believe is proper authority and proper practice, the Roman Catholic Church developed a very scholarly and highly ritualized approach to the whole subject. As a matter of fact, exorcism is so institutionalized in the Roman Church that you have to get special permission from a bishop to do it. Half the, half the time during the Bridgeport case of 1974, Father Bill Charbonneau and I sat there, and, and Ed Lorraine Warren as well, sat there waiting for permission from the Bishop of, of Bridgeport for Father Charbonneau to perform an exorcism on the house, never mind any people. So it, that's how um, formalized it is. Ah, uh, yes, the celestial bureaucracy. Well, indeed. Well, in, in other religions, not so much. Now, as a student... Well, no, there, there's... Well, if you can, can consider Confucianism a religion, he believed in the heavenly bureaucracy. All right, well, there you go, Confucian. Well, I don't know. I, I, I must say I've never had to conf- consult any Confucian authorities for permission. Well, it's not technically a religion, but he did believe that they that the heavens were governed by like all these huge like different like bureaus for random things like yeah. any anything anything you could think of there was probably a bureau for it and there were like all it was just it's ridiculous how like institutionalized that is let alone like anything in the west well i've always thought that confucian uh, that confucius would have been very happy working for the vatican secretary of state mm, probably anyway as a student for the priesthood, uh, my own early experience with the subject naturally came from that tradition. Uh, and I had to strike out on my own to learn it, finding my own mentors, because very little about possession and exorcism is actually taught in routine seminary training. People think otherwise, but that's not true. Uh, in the next show, we'll get into what's going on at the Vatican, or, or the, at least the most I can find out about what's going on at the Vatican, about uh, the increase in this sort of possession problems and the uh, official training that is going on there. But still, the training is not given to every priest. Uh, critical sources for the Roman Catholic belief and practice about exorcism are, of course, the four Gospels of the Christian New Testament. Uh, they talk about six specific encounters between Jesus Christ and demons. And this is a point that people should realize. While demons got the blame for many human ailments in ancient cultures, there are clear indications, especially among the educated classes uh, throughout the ancient period, that people realized the difference between demon possession and mental illness. Mm. All right. uh, Matthew 17, for example, the boy Jesus heals is clearly identified as an epileptic. But according to the narrative, there was a demonic factor in there as well. And I have to say that I can testify from my own experience that medical, psychiatric, and paranormal conditions can be present in one person at the same time. It's a big mess, but more on that later. Uh, the six situations Jesus encounters in the Gospels are the demon-possessed guys at uh, Gerasa, or, or I should say uh, Gerasa or Gadara, the, the, the garrison demoniacs, as they're called. Um, and... Uh, also, uh, that was in uh, Matthew uh, 7, uh, Mark uh, 5, and Luke 8. There's also where uh, Jesus cast the demons into the herd of pigs, and they ran down the slope and drowned themselves in the Sea of Galilee. And I've often wondered what the farmers thought of this. <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> yeah, it was one of those situations where there's no pleasing some people, right? That's exactly yeah. what Jesus said, sir. Yeah, right. So anyway, uh, yeah, I've often wondered the same thing. I ask weird questions like that in the seminar. Uh, then there was the demon possessed mute man. Uh, in I mean, did this national... happen every day in the old, in like the well, ancient no, well, world? No, they, they, they accepted it, uh, but again, you know, it was balanced among. They realized people were ill. Yeah. Uh, you know, because the less educated people would often blame demons for this. But uh, these are there. There are the, anyway these six specific encounters that Jesus had with this. Uh, now, from these and later experiences with the possessed come the Catholic understanding, and of course, from that, the Protestant understanding that we have today. Uh, and basic, basically, the beliefs that we have today from that boil down to this. Number one, demons are fallen angels who belong to Satan or the devil. They rebelled against God in the remote past and tried to get gullible humans to follow them. Right? Mm-hmm. Most people don't ask too many questions about that. But. Yeah. Uh, number two, belief in Jesus gives the church, through its priests, the authority to cast out demons. Now, Protestants believe that any Christian has this authority by virtue of their faith. Orthodox Christians believe the same thing, but think it's best for priests to kind of handle the situation, even though they aren't trained either, uh, as a rule. Uh, Number three, demons will flee at the sight of the cross or the name of Jesus. Four, those possessed will uh, will react violently to any attempt at exorcism. Five, people, very often young people, got possessed by fooling around with the occult, and by indulging in great evil, or both. Uh, or sometimes they had parents who were doing that. Sometimes curses were supposedly involved. Uh, number six, it was considered very important to get the name of the demon uh, as soon as you could, you could do that during an exorcism, uh, because this would increase your power over it. Now, this belief goes way back, preceding Christianity by centuries. Uh, the Jewish uh, beliefs in exorcism uh, include that as well. And seven, sometimes houses or places were possessed and had to be exercised, such as we thought was the case in Bridgeport. Mm. So when you worked with these, well, with those people in the psychiatric hospitals, how how was the decision made that they needed exorcism? Well, that's well, as I say, you know, again, people were would be amazed that in the 1970s and and even today there are psychiatric practitioners, doctors, and nurses who will come to the conclusion. Not all of them, of course, but some that so that, that there's no other explanation for a person's um, uh, condition. For example, uh, the big factor was phenomena happening around these people over which they had no possible physical control. For example, so wait, um, wait, wait, even today they still think this? As far as I know, yeah. No, yeah wow. I haven't worked in psychiatric hospitals for a while, but again, this is this is not common. Yeah, uh, there are maybe. You can say maybe 50, 52 to fifty-three percent of psychiatric um, nurses and doctors are well, but no, nurses more so. But doctors are uh, probably full believers in say a doctrine of this kind. Okay, mm. um, so uh, for example, give the, the fifth. I should say the first, fifth, and sixth exorcisms I assisted at were for the same person, a sixteen-year-old girl who was even at that young age a pathetic, burned-out pothead. Right. She tried to commit suicide three times at the behest of the voices she said she could hear, and she came from a devout Roman Catholic family. When she became upset, things around the room would usually shake and fall off shelves. Now, obviously, if that's happening, and even a doctor's going to say, well, something's going on here beyond uh, some sort of psychosis. I mean, if, she's, if something's manipulating the environment like that, far away from her physical uh, abilities to, uh, to deal with it. You know, we're being attacked by crickets here. All right. All right. 
Anyway, unexplained physical strength was another factor. Uh, this girl was very skinny and wasted away, but it took two of us, me and the, this huge attendant from the ward, to hold her down during the exorcism rite, even though she was strapped to a chair. She broke the straps from the chair. So uh, unexplained physical strength was a factor here, too. This had happened, obviously, before the, the, thing, uh, the exorcism rite occurred. Anyway, unexplained knowledge that the person could have attained in no way other, no other way is, is, an, is another, is another factor in this. And I, I get nervous when I talk about this because it's a terrible memory, but, uh, this girl couldn't get anything above a D in school that barely had a coherent command of English. Yet at one point during one of the exorcisms, which were recorded on tape, but not photographed, we were not allowed to photograph these, she turned to me and proclaimed in what I later found out was perfect melee, Saya Barada Dasana, Apabila Bapa Kamu, I'm not, not going to read the whole thing, but in English it translate, I was there when your father killed himself, I told him to do it. Obviously, no way this person could have known the circumstances of that terrible incident in my life. Other factors were considered too, such as a professed hatred of God or Jesus, uh, voices uh, being heard, sometimes being heard, by hospital staff and uh, professed desire to take their own life, things of this kind. So w- what happened to her? Well, I, it wasn't easy for me to handle this emotionally. Three times, well, this is an example. I mean, it's, it's not so easy to do this. Three times she had to be exercised, and she ended up dying. Not because of the but she just wasted away and died. So, uh, you know, and, and uh, there was a, a police investigation and everything else, as I understood it later. I mean, this happened after I graduated, but there were three exorcisms within a period of two years, and I was only at that seminary for two years. Uh, and then later on, uh, I heard that within six months uh, after I had left the, the situation, she had just wasted away and died of pneumonia. So um, I was perfectly natural causes. But um, whether any good was done, I don't know. It seemed that after after each exorcism, she would she would calm down, uh, she would eat decently, her health seemed to generally improve, but um, it, it just we never did get the name of the entity, but something obviously was going on. And of course, since then, I've considerably changed my opinion of what might have been going on and everything else. We'll get into that. By the way, what is melee? Uh, the uh, the spoken in Malaysia. Oh, sorry. Yeah. The no, no. I mean, it's not a language most people would know, but I. Uh, but I actually I made a note of it from the recording, and uh, one of the doctors had it translated, and I, you know, he didn't want to show it to me. Uh, but I mean, so it's, hmm. anyway. Um, but this is this is what happened. You have to be prepared for this kind of thing. Uh, anyone who participated in these things, including the doctor, uh, there had to be at least one doctor present by law. Not that there are laws about exorcism, but just obviously, yeah. even in those days, people were concerned about uh, liability. Uh, had to fast and pray for three days, which included attending Mass and receiving communion. Um, the um, We also knew to be ready for personal attacks, such as the one uh, that I just described, uh, in their pushing of buttons, they will say or do almost anything, revealing things that couldn't possibly be known under normal circumstances. I don't know if the thing thought I knew melee or not, but why... This was occurring, and I have an explanation for it. Maybe just be mysterious and annoy you. Well, they well annoyance is is uh, just a, is, is a very polite way to put it. Yeah, well, I get the impression that you didn't find the Roman Catholic approach entirely accurate. Well, not entirely. No, I mean it depended. 
Uh, as I worked with the Jesuit exorcism expert, Father John Nicola, whom you mentioned earlier, uh, who was based in Washington, D.C., and with the uh, local priest exorcist at, at uh, this psychiatric hospital, I started to notice several things. One, in, ten, in the ten cases that I dealt with, uh, the possessed victim or patient came from a devout Roman Catholic family, not some bunch of gangsters. So that struck me as strange. Yeah. Sometimes there was a cult involvement by the person, sometimes not. It was sometimes they'd been fooling around with the Ouija board, sometimes not. Uh, the, they apparently had no apparent connection whatsoever with anything that might have caused this. Uh, the victim always became agitated when the name of Jesus was mentioned, but sometimes that was it. Uh, we got no further results in some cases. Sometimes we had to use the name of the Holy Spirit uh, or Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and I have since found that all things considered, and this is going to sound really strange, the name of the pagan goddess Isis has incredible power over these entities. Now, some might say it because she's demonic. I, mean, I don't know. But, I mean, I have found amazingly positive results. I mean, you really want to see them scatter, just mention that name. Don't ask me why. Um, now, the more I studied these entities, the more convinced I became that they were living life forms and not spirits belonging to Satan or anyone else but their own species and culture. As time went by, it seemed that at times, anyway, they just pretended to obey commands from Roman Catholic priests, rabbis, or whatever religious tradition the victim or exorcist was from. Uh, despite the fact that they were considered the subjects of theology, their own theology was not the same as ours. I don't know if they even had one, but again, these, this, it was like dealing with another civilization. Uh, and it's certainly an alien life form, and I use that term whatever way you want to interpret it. Um, when the exorcist managed to get the name from an entity, I would often have reason to believe that it was a false name, uh, some entity in other cases, etc. Uh, in other words, I would I would run into the same entity. You know how you, there's a certain there's more to physical presence to a person. Yeah. Uh, there's you can sometimes tell if you have you know. Develop sensibilities that who who's in the room with you, or or you see, you know you look at somebody you've seen that person before. Well, it was the same uh, in one or two other cases later on, years and years later. I knew this was the same entity that I had run into in this, and it knew me. You know how this is really strange, and I don't like this. But people, listeners, will sometimes write and say that that that, that they they have a parasite problem, and that the parasite knows who you and I are. What if they have like a hive-like mind and they share each other's thoughts? They're like drones, worker bees, or whatever that, you yeah, call them. That's extremely possible, especially the the lower form ones, which we'll get into in the next show. But there's all kinds of talk about expecting the unexpected. I mean, there are all kinds of things that I I ran into with this that I just never expected, and things that if you have open thought about it, really will give you pause as to. Um, the validity, at least, or, or at least the completeness of our own beliefs about these things. Now, what, um, what would you say? I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. There, there was often a belief that I, I was told as a kid, growing up and being around other kids, and they, you know, stories get around and things like that. If you thought about stuff like this, that it would happen to you. Well, I mean, I've always, uh, I wish I'd never heard of the subject sometimes. I mean, it, it is, um, well, what do we tell people, Brad? We we'll say, uh, not ignore it, but, but don't give it any undue attention. Yes. Uh, when something happens, particularly in, in, in areas where there are multiversal 
intersections, like in the, the famous house in Connecticut, where I was talking about Connecticut See. Skinwalker Ranch, for lack of a better term. And uh, fortunately, you have a very supportive, a very positive family atmosphere there, and it, it doesn't impinge, you know, it annoys them, and because you know, they have all sounds, constant traffic through the house, you know. Different species looking in the window. I mean, but it's not nothing really negative, you know. But it's like a circus otherwise. But they deal with it well because they're so positive and well balanced. This family. So, um, yeah, it's it's a matter of uh, simply remaining balanced and not giving it its undue attention. When you live the multiverse lifestyle that we're always talking about here, we're not in the business of uh, trying to. I don't know, influence people religiously or anything here, but just when you're aware of the kind of world that we apparently live in, which is one in which we are elbow to elbow all the time and shoulder to shoulder with parallel worlds Mm. and even our parallel selves, it it can give you a very balanced and peaceful, oddly enough, and and, uh, rather elegant way to approach your super life, as we say. You are... You have many experiences you haven't had in this reality that can help you, uh, and you you have a union with others which is rather touching and real and constructive. So th- that's the kind of approach we take. Um, so I would say you can't let the negative aspects of these things get too much into your attention. You, you can't let it take up too much of your time or attention. It is only one aspect and a very negative one of of the nature of the universe, the nature of the multiverse. There are negative things out there. All things are not warm and fuzzy. It is best to be as positive as you can be, to keep the positive energy going, the humor, the faith, the good things. Uh, as I always call it, the, the, the Peter Pan theory, think happy thoughts. It really works. Yes, it Stick does. together. Hold hands when you cross the street. All that kind of, and all these basic things you kind of learned in kindergarten. These are what matters, and this is what will protect you. These things don't have the power that they want you to think they have. Yeah. Th- that's something we found, too. You, 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 They're only as powerful as you can let them be. And in the next show, we're going to get into how people get possessed. And we're going to see that there is a certain tacit agreement, not to get ahead of ourselves, agreement on the part of the victim. Many of these victims, both of poltergeist and of possession, like the attention. Mm. They're not all that upset about what's going on. This thing has befriended them. I flaunt math, but yet I have a friend who is a cosmic being, and you know, whatever it tells them it is. And uh, so I'm pretty special. Everybody wants to be special today. And it's your parents who should make you feel special in a good way. Uh, in a positive way that will, you know, I, I'm not talking about the everybody gets a trophy generation, uh, you know, now meeting reality and it doesn't work. I'm talking about humility, which is not, not saying, oh, I'm, I'm a jerk, but it's saying, this is what I really am. These are my abilities. Let's face them honestly and let's use what I've got. That's essentially, it's all these good things will protect you from all this negative stuff. So given everything that you've said after this entire well, 50 minutes or 55 actually um did you would you say that the ex- exorcisms where you were present helped or harmed the victim well in most cases i would say the effect was positive with the exception of the girl who was in in very very ill health anyway and i i don't think should have been put through this yeah. and i was very surprised as she was but again i wasn't the boss here uh, there were a number of, and there were people of all different ages, 
uh, one of them was um, went through the Jewish ritual. Uh, then this was, this was in a different context than there was in the same hospital, but um, and he, he seemed to recover well. I just it depended on the person, and because the whole question arises: Is this the proper approach in the first place? Is this a theological happening that requires a theological uh, answer uh, or solution? And the answer might be to that that everything has a theological context. Everything has something to do with God because you know it's it's all a big unity. But whether this this approach from these particular narrow disciplines was the right one is another question. And because we'll get into that again later later in the uh, uh, series here, which is going to be just you know one more show next week. So um, I guess unless you have another thought, no, no, we we can. Um move into something I'm pretty sure you've had enough of this subject for this week. (laughs) But next week we'll continue on our look at possession and exorcism and try to find out what's really going on and what's the big picture behind it all. Yeah, not not the most pleasant memories. Uh, Again, what's really strange is the knowledge some of these people will manifest. uh, Anybody in the room, they'll know everything about you. And you could just say, well, you know, that could be psychic or sensitive, but whatever this stuff is. And this is what goes after the ego, I think, of a lot of the people who, uh, yeah. you know, fall victims to it because it makes you feel really special and have power over others. Mm. It's a very dangerous thing. Hence, uh, we get into the po- the politics and, and the influence and, and politics these things might have. God help us. Anyway, yes. we do encourage you to uh, look at our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, and to check out uh, all the... Um, uh, things that are there for you, uh, future guests, past guests, and all kinds of, as Ben will point out, podcasts. Uh, again, behindtheparanormal.com, you can buy my books. Uh, you can subscribe to our newsletter, which we are going to be getting back into circulation, learning the new software here. Working on it. Or you can apply to become a reporter at the site. where We have them all over the country. We're looking for others in other countries. We supposedly have listeners, uh, we're told by Facebook, anyway, all over the world, and what, 18, 19 countries? That's, that's Something nice. to that effect. Yeah. Don't forget about our South, southcoastlearning.com with our... Uh, oh, yes, of course. Uh, we'll be teaching a course also, Providence Learning Connection, for anyone who lives in southern New England. We had a student who came all the way from Maine five weeks uh, for our course last time. I might also be teaching a medication course, so keep your eye open for that. It's going to be with Providence Learning Connection, southcoastlearning.com. Check it out. It starts February 11th. So don't forget, we have well over 300 podcasts of our shows, and they are available at our show website, www.behindtheparanormal.com. And we want to thank our producer uh, today, of course, Denise Richards. And we'll see you next Monday, January 30th, right here on WON, 1240 AM, on com. when Ben and I will continue our discussion of possession and exorcism from my own experience. In our regular CBS edition on Sunday, January 29th, in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, We'll welcome back Dr. Andrew Nichols for a discussion, maybe even a debate, on how he, as a real parapsychologist, investigates ghosts. And we'll leave you this evening with a quote from dear old Albert Einstein. The world is a dangerous place to live, not because of the people who are evil, but because of the people who don't do anything about it. And And thanks for sailing with us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.